everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. From artificial intelligence driven process automation, data analytics, digitization, robotics to internet, the rapidly emerging technological advances are on its way to revolutionize the biobanks, biorepository and biospecimen science. While drug discovery and development seems to be the primary focus Biobank research hopes to provide novel insights into the genetic component of diseases, ultimately leading to a more personalized approach to healthcare. The rapidly growing investments and innovations are enabling the scientific progress that will strongly influence our knowledge about human health and disease, the quality and nature of healthcare, and our very human life. Understandably, Biobanking is rapidly becoming a key area for infrastructure development and brings nations both risk and rewards. To discuss biobanking trends further, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. K. Stephen Su to Risk Roundup. Dr. St uh, Stephen Su is an expert for precision medicine topics and is achieving the concept of personalized medicine and biomarker-based population and patient selection for clinical testing platforms. He is currently the president of Diocine, based in United States. Welcome, Dr. Su. We are so very honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you for inviting me. Wonderful, Dr. Su. So it seems that collection of plants or animal microbes and other non-human materials can also be described as biobanks. But for the discussion today, we will restrict the term for human specimens. So from human specimen perspective, how would you describe the evolution of biobanks today? Um, the biobanking is a very broad term. Um, uh, you could be biobanking uh, plant seeds. You could be biobanking virus, various types of virus. You could be biobanking various types of bacteria. Um, various tissue types. So biobanking is a very broad term. Um, and some people, um, some, some field have specified directly to name their facility, uh, such as a tissue banking or tissue repository or biospecimen repository um, or human specimen um, bank and, and all sorts, different people named it differently. And uh, he, has, he has evolved uh, in, in great need since 15 years ago uh, because uh, it, it is such, it's, it's a very important resource to do proper uh, research on anything uh, for betterness of, um, of, of, for the betterness of treating uh, different diseases. Um, and, and it has grown into a big a field, especially in the field of uh, personalized medicine, precision, but also in the field of, um, in the field of uh, microbiome, uh, the field of uh, livestock, um, um, livestock uh, uh, research, uh, commercial, both commercially and academically, um, a government agencies that are starting to look very seriously into um, the biobanking, the field of biobanking. 
So uh, I will say it has become uh, really a huge field uh, in the field of human disease, yes. uh, uh, animal uh, diseases, uh, and in every area, uh, this is kind of exploding. Uh, so, and people, the, the, the different sectors, rather the academia, government, or industry sectors, uh, they all start to realize the importance of biobanking. Yes, very uh, So, true. I would say um, it has grown into a, a huge sector. Yes, it is. Uh, I read somewhere that uh, it's considered to be one of the top 10 ideas that would change the world. And that is, you know, itself, it shows it's very big. And especially we see that modern healthcare is in crisis from the perspective that the drug development has slowed down. There are not that many uh, drugs in development. And uh, there is an increasing demand for high quality and high specific treatments to diverse pathologies. Because if we, if we look at it, neurodegenerative diseases or cardiovascular diseases, cancer or obesity or diabetes or autoimmune diseases. There are so many different kinds of diseases that need a different kind of approach and treatment. And it seems that the molecular research that underlies this new treatment development is greatly being driven by the all these samples, different kinds of material and samples that are, and the information that is available from this uh, so-called biobank. So from, as, as you just described that, you know, it could be many different things. It could be, you know, microbiomes, it could be bacteria, viruses. But from your knowledge, how many different types of biobanks are there? I mean, is it restricted to just, uh, you know, tissues or cell lines or viruses, bacteria, or does it include even more? I will say in a broad sense, as I mentioned, biobank is a very broad term, unless you specify um, you know, people in the field working in human diseases, we just simply take it when someone mentions biobank, uh, we're talking about a human tissue, but people working in the field of virus, microbiome, bacteria, and when they refer to their biobank, it is completely different types of biobank. So uh, it's a very broad term. And I think, you know, I could easily think of more than 10 different types of biobank, including plant seeds. You know, there are biobank that stores various types of plant seeds, plant types, agricultural types, you know, for example, different corns and, different agricultural products. So um, I think you're mainly referring to human diseases, but yes. there are various types. I would say definitely about a dozen. I could uh, come, come up in my head, uh, definitely a dozen different biobank types. Uh, and that all depends on which field that you're coming from. Yes. I mean, the, I, I, I read that, you know, there are a lot of biobanks that focuses on diseases. Like, you know, they focus on either cancer or some autoimmune disease or some kind of, you know, cardiovascular disease. So there are disease-oriented biobanks. And then uh, there are also community biobanks, like, you know, population-based uh, biobanks. So there are many different and stem cells, you know, biobanks where they have different kinds of stem lines and, you know, uh, all the way to virtual biobanks, you know. So there is a 
the tissue yes. bank the tissue bank that you mentioned that also is very very important especially you know it's becoming very critical to understand the whole environment of any disease you know if you talk about some cancer what changes happens you know in the tissues that because understanding that will help us identify the biomarkers that would help us you know quickly diagnose the disease so there is a lot that is going on and there are many different approaches but uh, i see that lot of the effort is on identifying biomarkers in human body so that it's easy for diagnosis and we can uh, diagnose the disease happening at a very early stage but i i nowhere you know when i was doing research on this nowhere i found any information about identifying the environmental markers because you know if we look at the history there is a lot of information given you know about whether where you know in certain countries there is a certain diseases are more and you know in certain parts even in certain parts of the uh, country there are there are locations where there are you know certain kind of diseases happening so there must be something in the environment that also play you know a role in the disease you know onset so uh, while there i see, i saw a lot of effort in identifying biomarkers from the tissue sample to understand you know what is the changing in the protein and you know what are other developments happening in the tissues when there is an onset of disease but nowhere i found any information about the environmental markers do you have any information whether anybody is focusing on that um i i cannot come up right in the names of those in my head but there are banks different types of banks that that stores different materials if you're talking about environmental factors that depends on pollution in the air or or you know um different soil uh different air um depending on the a region where there are a lot of factories uh, people are collecting a lot of things and putting into banks i mean i i i wouldn't say they are biobank but there are different banks uh, and as you said in your statement it's uh, very important to store things uh for the research purpose so mm-hmm. that we could util- utilize them to identify markers environmental mm-hmm. markers biomarkers and so on um Uh, and as you said uh, you know is is a disease based uh, there are biobanks that that are disease based cancer diabetes and so on. they're also phenotypic based you know uh, just the extreme example is you know just there are banks that just collects certain phenotypes um, um people with um uh, uh, with certain uh, phenotypes on their skin on their eyes yeah. um and and so i mean it's a huge field um yeah. it's a huge field uh, and everybody banks different thing and this has been going on for decades and um and everybody knows about banking and it has been done in a lot of sense long time ago uh, in individual laboratories for whatever the topic that uh, the investigator is working on but recently there's a emergence of of banking where Uh, people form consortiums to bring uh, disease types together a uh, blood types together uh, a phenotypes together okay. um you know bacteria together you know so um this is very explosive as you mentioned is is it plays a very important role in identifying what causes a certain disease certain phenotype and so on 
Right, right. So, I mean, you see more integrated approach that the consortiums are forming and people are coming together, institutions, you know, and organizations and trying to work together to solve that. Yes, that is uh, that is definitely welcoming. But I, I, I mean, I see that initially, I mean, as we know that uh, when we were trying to research genetic disorders, uh, scientists would look at, you know, the genes that they expect that uh, would be causing that disorder. And we'll look at the mutations happening in those specific genes. Uh, like, you know, if you look at for breast cancer, then, you know, BRCA1 or BRCA2, those kind of, you know, uh, specific mutations they were uh, looking for. But now it seems that scientists are looking at not just at one gene, but they're looking at many genes because it, uh, you know, there is a new understanding that, uh, there's a lot of diseases originate not just from one single defective gene, but many, you know, genetic uh, diseases are caused by multiple genetic factors on multiple genes. So uh, how is the research strategy evolving from looking at only single genes and mutations on single genes to multiple genes and the entire genome to, uh, to understand, you know, how diseases are uh, uh, forming? I think the future trend, so far, so far, um, ever since National uh, Institute of Health, NIH, uh, sequenced human genome, uh, start, people started to deposit a lot of different uh, gene sequences in different data repositories. In terms of a mutation that you mentioned, I think world's uh, one of the largest mutation databases in UK called uh, Cosmic Database, run by Sanger um, Institute. So th there are a lot of things being deposited, uh, and those are, like you said, a virtual type of a sequence-based biobank where people just simply have millions and millions of uh, mutations. Um, there, there, there are uh, banks that has, you know, a lot of data. Uh, National Library of Medicine in, in, in NIH uh, has um, a huge amount of uh, data there as well. But as the future progress, um, the DNA sequencing becomes cheaper and cheaper. And, and these days, robotics basically takes care of a sequence. We don't Sequence in, uh, sequence DNA in, in in liquid handling mode anymore. Uh, it's is um, and and human hands anymore. Is is all sample in sequence out type of massive automated robotic based sequencing, and eventually the sequencing cost gonna go so low that um, human genome will be sequenced within a week or you know within a day. Uh, so. Eventually, uh, where the future is going to be, um, that human genome will be sequenced and it might become mandatory uh, for uh, every patient's uh, genome will be sequenced. And once it's all sequenced, it's a matter of computing power and computing power is, is becoming faster and more robust. Uh, and all this analytics come into play, all these different types of bioinformatics, uh, electronic medical record uh, dissection, and so on. So, it's, it, so, so at the end of the day, it's going to be a machine learning, uh, and it could definitely go into very soon a deep machine learning. And then, of course, artificial intelligence uh, or various types of algorithms will come together to mine 
what mutation out of a, let's say, population. You know, for example, let's say, uh, imaginarily speaking, there's a region uh, in um, a part of the world where uh, people live 50 years longer than other average population. So what mutation is causing it? What gene expression uh, is causing it? What are the differences in gene, gene uh, DNA sequences, you know, people will be identifying those kind of things from those type of biobanks. Uh, in terms of breast cancer, you mentioned there are a few mutations, major mutations where we know uh, and how, in, how they come about and, and drugs discoveries being made. But after we compile um, a human genome sequence of all breast cancer patients of, of hundreds of thousands, uh, and uh, different algorithmic uh, artificial intelligence and, and, and machine learning start to dig in, it's going to be able to find um, mutations or simply SMP, uh, some uh, difference in sequence uh, somewhere tucked away in intron rather than exon uh, to identify uh, um, reasons why uh, people get those diseases. And we found that reasons why some patients' tumor uh, progresses more rapidly, that we will find that reasons why, based on DNA sequence, uh, it may not be everything, uh, the, the, it might not be everything of the causal effect, but we be able to really start to pin down faster and in more robust way um, what mutation, what, what uh, change of the sequence is causing disease to progress faster, more aggressively, uh, and, and why certain things increase the mortality um, um, higher than than the other population that we compare as control. So uh, you're you're absolutely correct. Uh, the future's gonna be uh, a lot in DNA based, but uh, and it's gonna be human genome based. Uh, there are ethical issues about that. You know, for example, um, if I sequence your genome and we found out that you're gonna have diabetes, uh, some severe diabetes type 2 by when you're 55, are we going to start to charge you a higher insurance rate uh, just because they, you know, the machine found out uh, from your genome sequence that you're going to have a more complication, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's a really huge field to talk about yes. uh, and, and there are a lot of ethical issues involved uh, when human genome sequencing becomes mandatory. I personally have a feeling that at one day, let's say 10 years from now, um, uh, uh, because of the rise of the healthcare cost, um, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that uh, government decides to uh, make that mandatory so that, uh, we, that the reimbursement side and the insurance companies prepare better. You know, just simply one smokes, you know, pack a day uh, that person's uh, the medical the the medical care cost for that person for the lifetime might be much smaller than someone that we didn't know about, but now we know because of we found these mutations or alteration of DNA sequence and based on the human genome sequence, we found that you know person B uh, we expect to spend millions more uh, than the person A who smokes pack a day or alcoholic, you know, or whatever. So um, I think that's where the, where the future is going to be uh, eventually. And, uh, 
and the either a commercial entity, and I think it's going to be a commercial entity rather than academic or government entity uh, that sets up an infrastructure uh, that could analyze these hundreds and millions and billions of human genome sequence by using some sort of a supercomputing power. And I personally think anybody who set up the structure in, in the most vast and robust and in, in the quantity wise is China. Uh, you know, they're setting up a huge AI supercomputing infrastructure and entities like that will be able to take on this huge analysis. Sequencing is, is, is going to be easy because as I said, it's going to be more automated, more robotic based, but it's the analytics part. You know, the human is not going to be able to, by any means with um, current, um, uh, we're getting better, but not with, with the current computing um, uh, infrastructure, but it's gonna get better and better. And then one day, you know, there will be an entity or entities, uh, maybe in each continent, who knows, uh, they will be able to suck up millions and billions worth of human genome sequence and be able to compile and, and dissect uh, based on the phenotype, disease type, whatever, and figure out uh, what mutations cause what and what alteration of DNA causes what. And that could be definitely like a bit due to environmental factors, like yes. as you mentioned. Yeah. Yes, I know you are right. I mean, these changes seems like imminent and they are coming our way, but they're also going to create a lot more uh, complex challenges other than uh, privacy because it's also security and discrimination. I mean, since if, let's say, you know, the entity that controls that data, they right. Um, they know from the beginning who is going to develop what and that data leaks, you know, then that this, there will be discrimination from employers, you know, who they hire, who they don't hire. And also that, that data, you know, if privacy is not maintained properly, then, you know, there are security challenges. Right now, we are seeing the hacks happening for financial data and all that. But uh, going forward, if there is a hack into the these biobanks, then the hackers would get so much more information. That would be right. so dangerous in the coming years. Yes, it's, it would be, it would be uh, a very dangerous uh, if something like that happens and it's ethical issues and so on. But at the end of the day, uh, I believe the humanity will benefit from all these technologies. There will be glitches uh, like everything else. Uh, that we see as we encounter new technologies uh, and more privacy issues. But I don't think there's any way you could get away from that because uh, worldwide, the healthcare cost is rising and it's expensive. We expect American population in US, the household income uh, will match the insurance costs within 10 years. Uh, that's how how expensive the insurance cost uh, is rising in US and, and the countries that offers government-based um, uh, subsidized healthcare, um, everybody has to come up with some policy to overcome that cost because uh, it's gonna be expensive. So in order to prevent um, the government or, or private sector, they will put a fence around certain things. And even though there's a worries about privacy, even though there's a worries about technical hacking, so on and so forth, um, 
I don't think we'll get away from that because um, uh, I, I think in order to reduce global healthcare cost uh, for various different countries, especially U.S., uh, there's going to be some sort of a fence for us, for somebody to monitor whether you need to change your diet, whether you need to change your um, a daily habit, whether uh, you need to change something to uh, reduce the healthcare costs that we see forthcoming based on your genomic sequence, for example. Yes. Uh, and then biomarker is the same. I mean, um, if if we start to pump out more biomarkers for certain disease, you know, uh, there might be. It's already happening. Uh, the, the companies uh, and different um, uh, big companies, um, uh, government agencies, and others uh, putting kind of a semi-mandatory for you to do once a year complete checkup, twice a year complete checkup, uh, so that they could kind of monitor you. Uh, so if your blood pressure is going up, they try to, you know, um, put, bring forth the prevention medicine side so that you could take blood pressure medicine early. If they see sign of blood sugar rising, you know, they might, and, and you happen to have a biomarker for diabetes, they might put you on medicine early. You know, the prevention medicine is is, way, is where the, where the future is gonna go. Um, uh, nobody's gonna like patients coming into the hospital with full-blown full disease. And if you if you didn't take prevention measures uh, that might be put in as a, as a format of a policies or bylaws or whatever laws, uh, you might not be able to get fully covered uh, from the reimbursement side. You might have to pay more out of your pocket because you didn't follow uh, those type of policies. So. You know, th this is where the future is, how things are going to go. And, and biomarkers, as you said, the biobanking um, plays a huge role uh, in, in, as, as we move into the future. Yes, so it seems now, I mean, you mentioned good points about the privacy, ethics and security. I mean, some things are going to be unavoidable, like you said, that we would see some hacks, you know, initially until we figure out how to secure these kind of databases. Because anything that is digitized, you know, is going to be at risk because hackers can get into uh, pretty much any anywhere, you know, any database. So we will have to, until we find that effective security solution and uh, there are some, you know, that are in development, which would help us, you know, secure the databases more effectively because the new encryption models are coming that would be very helpful. But uh, there is also another, you know, aspect of the samples collected and it is about the integrity of the sample because uh, I was just, you know, looking, uh, we had a discussion on uh, the national ID other database that happened in India. And when you have to collect the data, biometric data from the entire human population within a country, then maintaining the integrity of that data to make sure that uh, the biometric data is about the person who actually says that person is, is very difficult. And I think it's uh, going to be same for biobanks also, because when we try to collect data from the population, you know, for a number, large number of, you know, people, uh, in, within a country, then maintaining that integrity of the sample is a very complex challenge. So how how are the biobanks or any of these initiatives trying to maintain the integrity of the sample collected? Yes, that, that's that's the most important thing about 
biobanking is the integrity. And I know for sure uh, that um, that's where everybody kind of, kind of get messed up. Um, you know, a policy pushes forward something coming from the upside to push for biobanking so people start to collect samples. But a lot of people who collect samples um, do not pay attention to the integrity. Uh, people on the upper side uh, cares about it, but people who are actually uh, procuring samples on the bottom side uh, either not educated and doesn't know the significance of uh, how fast they have to move from the time of biospecimen collection to the freezing point and storing point and processing point, uh, or they simply do not care uh, because they're busy with whatever their daily uh, workload. Uh, so the integrity gets, integrity gets compromised uh, at a lot of collection sites, no matter where. Uh, uh, and What's worst is that all the money uh, that's either in the format of grant, a format of funding, or uh, a different format of funding grants that's uh, given to researchers uh, at government, private, you know, academia side, uh, and they they are kind of happy to have these patient samples and biobank samples coming toward them with some uh, disease information or clinical information attached to it, uh, not knowing the integrity of those biosamples. And then they end up spending tens of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. If it's a huge project that could easily go through, you know, hundreds, millions of dollars uh, when you combine all this money spent on research using biosamples that have a poor integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what, what happens at the end of the day uh, is that at the end of the day, if you put junk sample in up front, in the front end, on the back end, you're going to get a junk data. Um, and depending on what set of biosamples that you use, uh, and not knowing the integrity, um, you know, people who use seventy percent really high quality biosamples mixed with thirty percent junk, uh, you might get some semi okay uh, data output at the end, and you might be able to use some of it. Um, but if you happen to have the other, the opposite, where seventy percent of your biosamples that you got somewhere. Um, uh, and, and 30% of them are actually high quality, good, uh, with high integrity uh, biosamples. Uh, and the, at the end of the day, on the back end, you're going to get a junk data and you think you found some biomarker for that disease, uh, for whatever the phenotype that you're going after. You think you find an answer, but it's an artifact. And, yeah. and there are a lot of people... Uh, working with samples out there, thinking that that they found a diamonds in the sand, uh, and they could be totally artifact. And that actually, at doubt, you know, down toward the end of the line, where uh, people start to do drug discoveries uh, and starting to identify uh, or make drugs against those bio biomarkers that came from some junk samples. 
you end up using a lot of money uh, and not finding anything at the end and, and failing clinical trials and losing millions and billions of dollars. So you are exactly correct uh, when you try to do that, for example, in India, uh, and collecting them and keeping the high integrity is extremely difficult. It's because people on the other side who are actually collecting and not people on the upper side who knows the importance of integrity, but people who are actually on the other side collecting, either they are extremely busy with their workload, so they don't pay enough attention, or they're not educated about the significance of the biosample integrity. Um, and on the pharma side, you know, um, they have no control of people who are procuring biosamples on the other side, either in the clinic or in the hospital or any, you know, anywhere, collecting blood from a population, from a village. You don't know how they're collected and how they're processed, and you don't know how long samples been sitting outside in the, in the room temperature, you don't know how it was processed, and it gets passed on to the pharma, to the researcher, government, academia, industry, and everybody works on it. And I think this is there's a huge silo and a gap that has to be filled in from beginning to end, very front end to the very back end. And this has to be coordinated uh, at a government policy level. Uh, even the institutional policy is pushing it. Uh, if you don't pay attention to educating these people, uh, it, it, it doesn't work. Uh, and I found out personally, from my experience, that a person who really holds the key on the integrity, uh, I found out after I did everything I could, and I still see you know, bad, um, low integrity samples uh, during my quality control, uh, the people that were really important was the courier, <laughs> yeah. believe it or not. You know, the people who pick up the sample and deliver it to the biobank, um, we found out that they were not educated. And even the people up in the front end did all good job procuring right away as soon as the biosample was removed from the time of diagnosis, from the time of the surgery, whatever. Uh, but people who delivered them uh, didn't deliver uh, on time. You know, either they're sitting in their delivery bag or they got they got called on uh, and asked to do something else uh, and they end up diverged from delivering the sample to the biobank and they rather spend a few hours doing some other things because they were called on to do something else and then later on deliver the sample to the biobank and turn out to be a junk sample. So, you know, that's just an example. Uh, but everybody has to be educated from front end to the back end, especially the front end, especially, and a lot of people forget this front end, uh, I think which is messing up a lot of uh, biobanking initiatives um, and wasting money at the back end. Uh, but people have to be educated in the front end really well in order to properly uh, maintain the high integrity of the biosample so that we discover great biomarkers and various types of markers and discover drugs.
Absolutely, absolutely. No, I agree with you on that. But do we not have in uh, standards right now established for these kind of initiatives, like you know, effective processes, guidelines? Oh, everybody has a, a standard protocols and SOPs and so on. Uh, but it's matter of it's matter of how many people following it. For example, let's say you have a clinic uh, um, in one country. Uh, and in in that one country, let's say you have a 5,000 hospital and you have a clinic that ranks in top 100, you know, uh, they may do a better uh, controlling uh, SOPs and, and better educating their workers and people who are procuring on the front end. Uh, but what about the rest of the, on, on the lower ranking hospitals or clinic who doesn't have that infrastructure, um, who doesn't have well-educated front end workers, um, you know, what do you do? Uh, that, that's, that's a different issue. And what if those out of 5,000 hospitals, what if those um, uh, thousand hospitals on the lower ranking side are the one who are more actively distributing their samples because, uh, you know, they need to recover costs for running their biobank. And people at the other end, at the, at the, a back end pharma and researchers end up using those samples that were collected from poorly procured environment, you know, and think about the data output uh, on, on the back end. Uh, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes. Yes. So it's not a simple problem. It has to be very well controlled at the level of policymaking Yes. Um, and government, institutional, and, and the, it has to be carefully controlled and monitored. But really, the front end and everywhere from beginning to back end, you know, um, people have to be well educated yes. the significance of maintaining high integrity biosamples. Yes, I, I, I hear you. And I, I think some initiatives are emerging about two year, you know, programs to train the people who. Uh, handle this kind of uh, sample. So maybe, you know, in the coming years, uh, it will get better. But what are you, as you look at this field broadly, I mean, you have worked in this field for so many years. So as you look at it broadly, what concerns you the most about uh, the biobank's ability to deliver on its promise for the future of personalized medicine and, you know, solving the problems facing healthcare? I believe... The importance of biobanking and proper biobanking, accurate precision biobanking is critical for precision medicine and personalized therapies. It's absolute, absolutely critical. I think a lot of people overlook that. Uh, I think a lot of people um, do not understand, like you are pointing to, uh, the importance of the front end where the samples are actually procured. I don't think government uh, policymakers understand. One time I went down to the National Institute of Health, NIH, and I spoke uh, and, and lectured about that importance of the front end. And I, I requested uh, there should be a better funding for biobanking and a better um, controlled uh, environment and government should step in um, and so on and so forth. But you know, that was that was 10 years ago, and I, I don't see a huge difference 10 years later. Um, mm -hmm. That means the government policymakers, 
um, have to understand, even though they're not bio-related, you know, they're, they're, they have a background who are not bio-related, even though they don't understand this uh, nitty-gritty about the medicine, yes. uh, it's a simple concept. They need to be educated as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Decision makers need to, regulators and policymakers, they yes. need to be educated first so they understand the importance of these. Now, uh, do you see these uh, challenges only in the United States or do you see challenges uh, with all the countries that are dealing with the biobanks? I see challenges in in U.S. because I, I experienced this environment and in the United States supposedly have we spend a lot of money on it and we try to do our best uh, with regulations and, and compliances and so on and so forth. Other countries globally, um, the countries that spends more money and try to do a good biobanking, I think probably do better. But countries who, who overlook this problem uh, and do not really understand uh, this issue of integrity of the biobanking and all different um, different arms uh, that needs to be monitored and controlled. Those countries, biobanking, and if samples are there, I'm not sure if I want to use that for my research. Right. So, you know, um, if it's a fixed or frozen tissue, but then again, you don't know when you fix the tissue or fr freeze the tissue. Maybe the tissue was left out in the operating room for a day, then you freeze it and, and fixed it. And then they start to distribute those samples. Right, right. Um, so it's, it's uh, I still see we have some way to go. Uh, and it's, it's sad to see that biopharma and government spends millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for many years. So it could be easily multi-billions of dollars going into research and they don't pay attention, tend, they don't pay attention in really tightly regulating the quality, um, the regulating the policies or the SOPs, so on and so forth in order to maintain high quality biosamples so that the research money, no matter where they are, the funding's coming from, so that research money doesn't get wasted. I, I see a lot of wasted fund because of the tissue, the biobank samples that they're passing on to the other end uh, doesn't meet the, the high integrity standard. Right, right. No, I understand that. So uh, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially about your research or new initiatives or uh, publications or affiliation? Uh, I don't. You mean the one that I I run now, the diagnosing? Sure. Oh no, I, uh, this this is this is a company that I run on a side. Uh, my wife is actually my wife's company. Uh, this is a sales marketing distribution company. We import. We import um, uh, various reagents worldwide and we distribute here in the U.S. So I'm, I'm not going to give a sales talk about that since this is a, a biobanking related topic. Okay. Yeah. It's a side thing. I see. I see. Yeah. And I was, I was uh, extremely busy running an organization for a couple of years. So I had to stop my research running the organization. Uh, but uh, I will be going back to the bench. But um, in terms of biobanking, uh, I think you, 
Are you, are you, uh, is your background on biomedicine, Jashree? My, my background is, uh, I have a, a PhD in uh, microbiology, but I have done a lot of work in anti-cancer drugs okay. and biotechnology and all. So okay. I have a very good understanding about this. Field. Okay. I, I, I sense that. I sense that um, from the people that I've talked to, uh, I would say you are one of the people who really and knows the importance of biobanking. And not many people, they know it's important, but they don't understand the nitty gritty part of, of the importance of biobanking because this is the front end. On the back end, there are a lot of money just going down um, and some artifacts are being used to use for drug discovery and so on. Eventually they find out, but right. you know what I mean. Yes, yes, of course, you know, so yes, you're, you're right, there's a lot of investment happening, but there's also a lot of ignorance, so uh, a lot of controls are not established and not paid attention to, but this is such a huge field, it will shape the coming tomorrow for the, you know, humanity, so uh, I hope that there is more attention given, more focus given, it, not even all countries have biobanks at this point, you know, some only some countries have biobanks, so I hope that every country focuses on this and establishes the biobank so they can understand uh, the cause of you know diseases and how to prevent it in a timely manner and how to come up with effective drugs and have personalized medicine uh, so i this field is very very important so thank yes. you so, yes thank you so much dr su for participating in risk roundup today i hope you go back to uh, biobank, uh, biobanking field and do some research and uh, come up with some effective biomarkers for the uh, future of healthcare and future of humanity. So uh, we appreciate your thoughtful insight on everything you shared with us and our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided and we thank you for that. Okay, thank you Jashree for this opportunity. Thank you so much, Dr. Su. So Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence, and transformation happening across cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace, and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to the management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup video audio podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.